Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. All right, welcome to episode 53 of the Grow Bud Yourself podcast. First, uh, Mike and I are going to discuss a little bit about things that are in the news. Our interview is with Ellen Farmer-Brown. She is a veteran activist and founder of Sensamia Seminars. The cultivation segment is going to feature our strain of the fortnight, as well as how to choose your grow room exhaust fan size, plus grow Q&A, and Episode 53 is brought to you by Rocket Seeds, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, and Excelsior Extracts THC Infused Pain Relief Rub. Stick around for episode 53 of Grow Bud Yourself, coming at you. Hey, you guys, I really want to thank our sponsors from Excelsior Extracts. These are great friends of the show, uh, great friends of mine for many years, incredible growers, incredible people, and they have made some incredible products as well, including their THC-infused pain rub. And you know it works because you're talking about people who are real, true cannabis medical patients that are making this. Just want to shout out Outcast and, and uh, TOH. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, that's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S, Excelsior Extracts. DM them if you're interested in trying out that pain relief rub. Tell them Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, yeah, man, thank you to uh, T and O from Excelsior for sponsoring the show and being just such great friends and supporters. All right, we are back, and here it is, number five, three. We are in our second year of uh, <laughs> of podcasting here with the Grow Bud Yourself podcast, and ten years plus uh, of cannabis podcasting, which is pretty exciting. Yes, yeah, we forgot to celebrate the anniversary of the Free Weed podcast that was back in two thousand eleven. So yeah, you're right, ten years, wild, incredible. Hope well, what do you uh, got for 53? Uh, do, we have a, uh, do we have a reference? You know, I did a little research. 53 okay. is the number uh, that uh, is on Herbie the Love Bug in the original 1968. Uh, you know, the Volkswagen Beetle? Sure. Herbie? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, the little bug. Is that the one that talked? I believe so. I'm not sure. Uh, does he talk in the, in the 1963 film? He must, right? I'm, or, I'm sorry, 1968. Of- thinking of Knight Rider. I don't know. Oh, Herbie, it was the little love bug, and then, yeah. There's been a number of, 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 uh, of remakes, so it's hard to, it's hard I to remember. I believe Lindsay Lohan was, was in one of them, was she not? Indeed. Okay. Indeed right. she was, um, but that was much later than 1968. I don't believe <laughs> I that she so. was even born then. Um, but right. So, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> Is that all you got? No, what do you got? Well, I just happened to see a you know a recent pew research poll uh said that 53 percent of catholics support uh cannabis legalization so interesting 53 percent of catholics mm-hmm. you know that's amazing because 
53 is also the number of Hail Mary beads on a standard five-decade Catholic rosary. Whoa. Whoa, is that's mind weird. Blown by that? Yeah. How do you, first of all, how do you know that? <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> oh, okay. I had to look it up. But, that's a trip, though, yeah. So 53% yeah. of Catholics and then 53 beads on the uh, rosary? Yes. Wow. Clearly, God has a plan. Okay, well, a lot of 53 info for you guys this week, so hopefully that was helpful to somebody. Excellent. Yeah, probably useless to most, but what do we got in the news, Mike? Yeah, there is some there is some cannabis news. There were two stories, I thought, that, that we should probably get into, and the first is um, a federal one, the other is on a local level. Federal one, uh, people who follow the, the news, they know Chuck Schumer, our good friend, friend of the show, Chuck Schumer. <laughs> Just... Um, just saw him a couple of weeks ago at the, yeah. at the pot rally. You just hung out with him last weekend. He, if somehow, because the world is is a bizarre and mysterious place, is the most powerful man in cannabis now and holds legalization in his very hands. He um, is about to, although he has been saying he's about to release this bill for months now, but he is quote unquote about to release a uh, cannabis legalization bill. But at the same time that that's happening, the SAFE Act, which would allow um, banking, it would allow cannabis businesses to bank, that passed the House and it's awaiting its um, vote in the Senate. And so just recently, Schumer has come out and said that he is not going to allow the SAFE Act to get a vote until he passes his uh, federal cannabis legalization bill. So it struck me as interesting because under Mitch McConnell, the former um, majority leader in the Senate, we couldn't get the SAFE Act a, a vote in the Senate. And now under Schumer, we can't get the SAFE Act a vote in the Senate. But just before you weigh in on this, because I want to get your take, the reason that Schumer says he's doing this is because he feels like if Republicans and moderate Democrats pass the SAFE Act first, they will be less likely to support the full federal cannabis legalization bill that Schumer wants to pass. So so what do you think of this, uh, this sort of strategy that Schumer is uh, going with? Um, I don't understand why they can't pass the SAFE Act and then talk about federal legalization. These are two different things. Uh, the SAFE Act uh, grants banking privileges to companies that they need right now. I mean, those, that's necessary and it's immediate. The need is, is frantic. I mean, we need to be able to bank. Companies need to be able to take loans, uh, put money in the bank, uh, invest money, that sort of thing, rather than just buying up, you know, glass art and like filling up houses with cash and, and private, you know, security firms to protect it. it it's, you know, it's just too much of a hindrance in handcuffing of our industry and that could change you know with the safe act passing immediately and i think there would be some republican support of that and i think certainly 60 senators i would imagine uh would vote to pass that uh, you know in my mind i could see uh some of the you know more libertarian leaning uh republicans voting for it so why not try to push that through and then once that's through then we talk about federal legalization and so i would uh implore mr schumer or uh shooms as i call him you know once you get to know him like like i know him you yeah know, you just you guys are you familiar know, with each other yeah once you yeah you know, once you you're hanging out uh with him you know uh you call him shooms so i would say shooms dude bro <laughs> mm -hmm. my guy <laughs> you know why do we have to pick one or not the other why can't we have 
the banking thing pass and then, you know, work on legalization. Everyone would love it. Why not, you know, push uh, forward both of these things? I don't think they are mutually exclusive. So you're essentially, you're not buying the strategy idea that Schumer is, is putting out there saying that he feels like if safe goes first, these people that vote for that are not going to support full cannabis legalization, sort of as if they are, you know, they're throwing the pot thing a bone with safe, but they're not going to then support full legalization. You're, you're not buying that? I'm, I'm not. I mean, I'm not, especially without the filibuster. I mean, with the filibuster in place, obviously, you know, that we, we need the 60 instead of the 50 votes. Um, and that makes it much more difficult. But if they got rid of that, which they should, then they could vote on it tomorrow and it'd be a done deal and that's it. Game over. And they need to do that sort of thing because, look, we may not have more than another year and a half or so of a majority. I mean, this could change at any time. One, uh, you know, one Democratic senator uh, falling ill even, you know, or losing their seat in the elections of 2022 uh, and, and this all falls apart. So, uh, strike while the hammer, you know, is hot is, I think, is that the expression? Either way, you know, get it done. Get it done. Make that's hay while that's the what I say to Shumes. Get well, the SAFE yeah. Act done. Get the federal legalization done. Get it all done. What Dan said was important there, though, uh, that, that this could be done immediately. Like, if the Senate were to pass the SAFE Act, Biden, I believe, would sign that. And, and cannabis businesses would be, you know, allowed to bank immediately. So yeah, and that's, that's a far better deal than than let's say, uh, you know, changing the schedule from schedule one to schedule two, which, you know, I hope is not that. what they're talking about when they're they talk not. about they're federal not. legalization. I know that Biden, you know, is you know a rescheduler, not a descheduler. I do think we need to take cannabis off the schedule entirely uh, and put it where you know, alcohol and tobacco are with the, that are not on any sort of drug schedule. So you're, you're right. That would be his uh, preference, but it's not what Schumer uh, and Booker are going for with their bill. Well, that's good. So pass the safe act, make it legal federally, and let's just keep moving. This is the time. Now is the time. So yes, that's, indeed. that's where I stand on it. All right. Well, th- that is uh, the big story federally we wanted to talk about. And then sort of on the local level with cannabis, um, there's a really fascinating story coming out of Massachusetts. Um, Jasiel Korea, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, Korea, he was the uh, mayor of Fall River, Massachusetts, the disgraced former mayor, uh, just incidentally, uh, the youngest ever mayor of that town at only 23. He was he was elected, but Anyway, he is on trial now, and um, as we are recording this, the trial has ended, but the jury is out, so we don't know if he's going to be found guilty of these crimes. But he is essentially accused, among a number of, um, of other things, mostly wire fraud, he's accused of taking bribes from cannabis companies in order to give them this letter that basically allows them to open uh, a pot shop in Fall River. And sort of the bigger picture story here is that a lot of these uh, state-level cannabis laws put a lot of power in the hands of the elected officials in that town that have the power to decide if a pot shop can open or not. And it sort of opens the door to these bribes. Because even above board, without this like sort of back deal, like envelopes full of cash bribe situation that we actually have with this mayor, potentially, 
there's still conditions that a lot of these governments put on the cannabis businesses, like forcing them to donate money to uh, local charities or old age homes or, you know, a lot, a certain number of employee uh, time to volunteer at certain things. These are agreements that they make businesses, uh, you know, agree to before allowing them to open a shop. And there's no other businesses that are subjected to this kind of nonsense before they're allowed to open their stores. So I guess the question is, uh, you know, first of all, what do you think of this mayor? He's, you know, he's, he's taken hundreds of thousands of dollars from pot shops and given them these recommendation letters allowing them to open. And secondly, uh, you know, these laws, how can we how can we change this to make sure that this is all above board? Yeah, I mean, this is interesting because uh, when you give these, you know, you give, you give a local politician that kind of power and then you have the lobbyists and people coming in from, you know, multi-state operators, they have huge budgets, uh, they can, you know, s- grease the wheels, so to speak. And, and this guy obviously uh, fell, you know, victim, or I shouldn't say victim, <laughs> he's not the victim, uh, but he fell into that. So, you know, that opens the door to things like extortion, uh, where, you know, it's a quid pro quo, and he gets paid, and then this company gets a license. And, you know, it can't operate that way. We need a level playing field, and there has to be uh, checks and balances to make sure that this type of extortion, and we're not promoting extortion. I mean, right now, it seems like you know, he'd be a fool not to take these bribes because, you know, this is free money. It's just being offered up by these companies. So one of them is going to get these, you know, some of them are going to get these licenses anyway. And in the meantime, here they are, you know, offering life-changing kind of money to this young, uh, fresh new mayor. And so uh, there, there just has to be a way to mitigate that. And I think the important thing is to have a level playing field and, by level, I don't mean where all these MSOs can just come in and outspend everybody. I mean where the mom and pops and the co-ops can compete with the MSOs for licenses and can actually be granted certain ones specifically for smaller business, for businesses uh, run by uh, women, people of color, veterans, uh, seniors, uh, all you know, indigenous people. There should be basically... Uh, regulations and rules that allow for uh, entry for all different types of businesses into the industry. And I don't think that that should be exclusive to the ones that have enough money to bribe these mayors. And that's ridiculous. So uh, I think making the the barriers uh, for the level of entry lower is important too. You know, in places like Oklahoma, I would imagine there's there's very little uh, bribery or extortion going on because you can get in the business cheap and uh, the licenses are, aren't hard to come by. So let the market decide. You know, If this person makes great bud at a good price, they, they should be able to thrive and survive in the business. They shouldn't have to have million-dollar backers to do it. So that's kind of where I stand on it. I mean, I think uh, you know, I'm not for over-regulation in any way, shape, or form, but if those regulations allow for a better, uh, more equity and a better playing field uh, for these smaller operators, that works best for everybody. And it could be selfish on my part because I know that those are the ones that are going to create the higher quality cannabis that I'm going to want to purchase for myself. So, uh, you know, maybe, you know, that's selfish on my part, but I think patience, I think 
uh, the people who are connoisseurs and aficionados deserve uh, the opportunity to purchase the highest quality products available. And in a lot of cases, those are not, not going to necessarily come from uh, the larger producers and the MSOs, but actually from a small farm. And if you want to support sustainability and you want to support sun-grown cannabis and you want to support small farmers, then support them with your pocketbook and buy it from them, uh, whether they're legal or not, to be honest. Right. And if, if these states want to support equity applicants and create more of a level playing field to get into the industry, then you really can't have a system where, you know, a ton of money up front is necessary just to get a license. And if I could just read really quickly this line from the Boston Globe about this mayor, uh, Korea, he leapt on the arrival of legal marijuana in 2016 as an opportunity to line his pockets and splurge on helicopters, luxury hotel stays and vacations. He allegedly collected a total of $600,000 in bribes from would-be marijuana businessmen, some of which he collected personally in his city-issued SUV in exchange for non-opposition letters. And those, of course, are the letters that are necessary to get into this legal cannabis space in that town. So pretty interesting stuff there. We'll see uh, what prison sentence he gets if he's found guilty. Indeed, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens there and how it affects other, uh, you know, cities and municipalities and in Massachusetts and beyond. Yeah, we should make sure we say alleged. Uh, the jury is out. He hasn't been found guilty yet, but there certainly seems to be a good amount of evidence against him. But we'll keep you guys posted on that. That's a little bit of what's going on in, in the, the cannabis news world. But we're not just cannabis news here. We've got a lot more to offer you guys. Indeed. And speaking of Massachusetts, our interview is with a uh, Massachusetts resident and an incredible veteran, uh, Air Force veteran, activist, and the founder of Sensimia Seminars, Ellen Farmer-Brown, uh, a friend and colleague and uh, incredible advocate for cannabis freedom and for proper home cultivation as well, is our guest on the show. So uh, without any further ado, why don't we take a break and come back with Ellen Brown of Sensimia Seminars. Hey, you guys, I want to tell you guys about a sponsor of ours, Rocket Seeds. Uh, check them out at rocketseeds.com. They have a ton, I mean, over 500 different varieties of cannabis strains available. Uh, high quality seeds, great genetics. Uh, they ship worldwide, which is very important. Uh, reliable support. And they also ship for a variety of different seed banks. They've got feminized seeds, autoflowering seeds, regular seeds, uh, CBD seeds. A lot of people are looking for that. So check them out at rocketseeds.com or on Instagram, rocket underscore seeds. They are awesome and we are really happy to have them on as a sponsor. So check them out. Blast off and get your seeds from rocketseeds.com. All right, welcome back. And we have a very special guest for you guys today. Uh, it is my friend, Ellen Brown. Ellen is a grower, activist, and educator, and also a United States Air Force veteran and business owner. Uh, so Ellen, welcome to the show. Hey, Danny, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. 
yeah, thanks for thanks for being on the show. Um, I want to get into uh, your business and all of that. Uh, you know, you're the founder of Sensamia Seminars, uh, which is a Cape Cod based uh, educational cannabis program that we'll talk about. But uh, first, why don't we talk about uh, how you first got in- interested in cannabis to begin with? Um, well, I'd say that my, my, my real interest in the cannabis plant came after my service in the Air Force. I had left for the United States Air Force two weeks after graduating high school. So while all my friends were having their senior summer, I was off in basic training. <laughs> so um, when I got out of the service, my friends were still in college. And um, I came back and I was, you know, I was um, reacclimating to civilian life. And one of my friends said, you know, why don't you why don't you smoke some pot? Why don't you try smoking weed? And I said, you know, I had, I had done it like what I had inhaled and had fun, of course, in like high school. But I never thought of using cannabis like medicinally or to relax or, you know, outside of um, recreational. So I had started um, smoking when I got out of the Air Force and I had really found that it was so beneficial to me and that I was able to relax and process. And I liked who I was when I was um, medicated. And I found that I was just able to, um, you know, to, to view life in a different perspective. So with that in mind, I, uh, I went back and I was like, where, where do I, where is like a reputable source for knowledge on cannabis? And I thought about my being 16 with my high times magazines that you had to like hide from your parents. <laughs> so um, I'm sure there was an article or two by you in there, Mr. Danko, that I was reading once upon a time and in your books and all these wonderful things. So I thought about these resources and all signs pointed to Humboldt County, California. So I uh, worked two jobs and I saved up and I moved out there with my best friend. And uh, that is really when my when my journey began, because I realized, you know, that how to grow this plant and then how to be able to teach other people how to grow this plant was something that I really, really wanted to do. Um, And the more people that we can educate and the more that we can break the stigma, it's just going to really help to create that paradigm shift that needs to be created in order for cannabis to be everything it's going to be for not only our industry, but for patients and consumers and all the other wonderful uses for cannabis and hemp. Wow, cool. So so you moved to Humboldt. Um, this is around what, 2010 or so? Um, this was, yeah, right, 2010. So uh I was um it was 20 years old and I moved out to Humboldt County with uh with with my best friend at the time, and we actually moved to uh Ferndale. So we moved to Ferndale and we started uh growing in our bedroom. So I went to the Humboldt County patient resource center where actually Kevin Jordy was working at the time as the lead cultivator. And I had no idea like who he was or anything until much, much, much later. He's such a wonderful, humble man, humble man. And he, uh, he really taught me how to take cuttings and to get an appreciation for the plant. So I started out with like some, uh, redwood kush and some super lemon haze. And I was growing in my, in my bedroom and I had started cultivating without actually doing any any research into it. So I learned real fast that, you know, these are um, these babies need a lot of attention. You know, they need they need nutrients. They need lighting. They need love. Um, So it became this other wonderful full time job. So um, moving out to Humboldt County ended up being this really great, like uh, on the job training that I didn't even know I was going to get. It kind of it literally puts you right into the field, if you will. So. Um, I just started, 
cultivating my own plants and then volunteering a lot at this um, dispensary because it was really great that I got to take cuttings and learn how to transplant and do all these things that were um, really like I couldn't conceptualize them because I had never done them before. So um, it was great to be able to go and have um, a place where you could could learn hands on by somebody that was that was doing it. So it really created this uh, love and connection for um, the patient model for having patients being able to have access to cannabis. And then in 2010, um, in Shasta County, there was the Harvest Fest. So I went out to Harvest Fest and I brought my resume, which literally said, I read High Times Magazine and I can trim cannabis. I swear to you. And um, I passed out that um, <laughs> I passed out that resume and uh, a collective that I had been going to, Nature's Nexus, was one of the booths there. And by passing out my resume there and by talking with the manager, he said, come in, I'll give you an opportunity. And I started as a trimmer and then I worked my way up and I became a bud tender and then I became the manager and then they needed help in the grow room. So I started sweeping the floors and then taking the cuttings and then becoming the lead cultivator. And then within a two year time, I was doing deliveries and making edibles. So I was really learning every single facet of the of the cannabis industry and working at a dispensary and doing patient care um, hands on. So it was just this really, really wonderful time in my life that I'm really grateful for. And somebody had recently asked me if I got into cannabis for like the green rusher or whatever. And I was like, I actually got into to the cannabis community before the green rush was even a term before that was even part of the vernacular. So, you know, being here when it was, you know, very, 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 very much patient focused is always going to uh, definitely be something that stays with me. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, uh, quite remarkable that you would start basically at the bottom as as a trimmer and uh, within two years basically be managing and, and being like the lead cultivator. Do you think that your military experience played any type of a role in uh, you being able to advance and, and, and learn on the fly? Um, I, I do. I definitely think it helped with uh, adaptability, attention to detail, and then also you know, um, like the the want and, and desire to learn. Um, my boss, when I first started, she said, you don't know anything, but you have a great personality and I can teach a skill set, but I can't teach customer service. Cool. Now, when did you decide to move back to Massachusetts and uh, become involved, I guess, um, first in uh, advocacy and activism and then, I guess, in business and education. But when when did you decide to come back? And what was the reasoning behind, uh, you know, returning to Massachusetts, I believe, is where you're from, right? Yes, it wasn't a choice necessarily. Um, in 2000 and 2012, early 2000 and, well, I guess it was like 2010, 2011, there was a court case that happened. It was called Long Beach First Pack. And what this was, was that um, Long Beach was being sued because they had pretty much created a monopoly for their dispensaries, which was all these dispensaries had to pay into possibly getting an application, but there are only like 10, 10 actual positions. So people lost a lot of money into it. Long story short, the city council of Reading decided that they were going to ban all 26 dispensaries two weeks before Thanksgiving which is something I will not forgive and something I will not forget. And uh, I went to the uh, proceedings. I went to the, the the city council meetings where people were able to give testimony. 
And I didn't give testimony because I thought I would screw it up. <laughs> I thought I would say something stupid. I thought I would hurt the cause. I was like, no, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Like <laughs> it's red in California. You know, it's, it's going to be okay. It's 2011. Like we're in California. They can't just, they can't just shut us down. They can't just shut down 26 dispensaries and leave all these patients with nowhere to go. No way, no way. And yes way. And I found out very quickly how wrong I was and how um, quickly legislation can work. And with the dotting of some I's and the crossing of some T's, your entire life can change due to bad legislation. Um, so our dispensary ended up uh, getting into a lawsuit where we tried to continue to keep our doors open. We were unsuccessful. We ended up having to shut down. And this was, um, you know, July of 2012. So I, um, in our November of 2012, was Massachusetts was going to vote on medical marijuana in um, mass. So like, yes, on question three was what the ballot initiative was. So I moved home in the summer of 2012 with like, like hell no, no fury, because I had lost everything that I had worked for. I had, I literally had the dream. I had every single thing that I wanted in, in the ways that I wanted it. I had a home, I had a community, I had friends, I had the job that I had worked for, I had the positions I wanted. And truth be told, if that, if that had never happened with the doors getting shut, I would probably still be there to this day. Um, but with that in mind, you know, life puts obstacles in front of us and, um, you know, we, we change and we adapt and we take these experiences that could be, um, potentially devastating because they put us back to what we feel is square one. And I took that and I thought, I know how to educate. And now I know how to grow cannabis. And I like know how to grow cannabis in a dispensary setting. I know how to grow indoor cannabis. I know how to grow outdoor cannabis. I know about cultivation. I know about, you know, from seed to sale, how to do this. And I was like, let's go. So when I moved back home, I decided I was going to teach every single person I knew. And I really wanted to be um, a driving force and a voice in um in the cannabis community and in the in in legislation because you know for for myself i uh there are little things that you always regret here and there but for myself i always wish if i could if there was one thing i could change i would have gone and testified at the reading city reading city council and let them know the repercussions of taking my job hurting hurting our patients hurting our community all these different things and you know, now whenever I testify, I'm, I know I'm testifying because I'm creating jobs and I'm making sure that jobs are staying where they should be and that other people won't find themselves in a situation where they are literally, you know, if without a job, without a home, with how having all these things happen right before the holidays, I just found that to be like one of the most crushing things of all of how Reading City Council handled that. And um, with that in mind, with activism here on the East Coast, I realized that, you know, maybe I can make a change here. Maybe I could right some kind of wrong that's happened in the past and create a future where this won't happen again. And the more people I can educate, the more voices we will have at these city council meetings. So um, I really started teaching in 2015 is when I started teaching my own classes. Um, I had been doing a lot of advocacy and activism and teaching like here and there. But when I actually started to like structure classes and have like um, open classes where anybody could come and um, where anybody could learn, we, I was teaching classes that were um, for women only. I taught one of the, the first classes that was cultivation like for women. 
So we had classes where there were, you know, 30 to 40 women in a class where we could just talk about cultivation and ask anything. There are no silly questions. We're all here to learn to foster new cultivation environments and looking at different demographics that could really benefit from this education. So holding uh, free classes for veterans is also something I've uh, I've done in the past and I'm going to continue to do in order to really get that education to where it needs to be. That is amazing. Now, one of the courses that you teach uh, is called Responsible Vendor Training. What exactly do you mean? What is Responsible Vendor Training? So, The Cannabis Control Commission in the state of Massachusetts is the governing body for both of our um, programs, our medical marijuana program, as well as our recreational program. Um, So during the time where they were taking feedback for um, changes that should be made to legislation while they were hearing, um, you know, feedback for adult use uh, recreational laws, One of the feedbacks that came back from myself and other educators in the community was we wanted mandated education for the industry. So that way we had cohesion in the industry and that way we had industry standards. So the Cannabis Control Commission heard the feedback and then they created the Responsible Vendor Training Program. So now what I'm teaching is the core curriculum. So this is pretty much mandated cannabis compliance training through the Cannabis Control Commission. So the Cannabis Control Commission um, figured out what they felt that um, people needed to know that worked in a dispensary, whether they are, um, well, I shouldn't say dispensary within the industry, if they have a marijuana establishment. So if they are a uh, retail marijuana shop, if they are a medical marijuana treatment center, if they are a laboratory, if they are a delivery service, whatever they might be, this is the standard education that they need to get in order to have cohesion across the board and in order for them to know what they are, um, what they are liable and what they are responsible for knowing. So a lot of this education really focuses on preventative measures for making sure that um, diversion and sales to minors don't occur. So a big portion of our education covers um, checking identification, knowing um, all the different laws, rules, and uh, legislation for the Cannabis Control Commission, the state of Massachusetts, the federal law. And then during the advanced curriculum coming up, then that'll go a lot more into the importance of, you know, um, seed to sale and MAC and micronutrients. But for right now, it's kind of like a, a generalized overview. And also talking about the importance of company culture, inclusion, Um, diversity, cultural competency is something that we teach as well. And I think that's really important, especially um, in an industry that we have found has been so disproportionately impacted. So looking at um, the diversity plans, the positive impact plans, and thinking about how we can give back to the community. Absolutely. Now, what what do you feel are the, you know, from your students and people that you've talked to, what do you think are the, are the, biggest mistakes that uh, first-time cultivators or people interested in, you know, being getting involved in the industry make and uh, maybe how can they possibly avoid those mistakes? Absolutely. Um, so that's a great question. Some, some, some of the more like uh, the greener mistakes or some of like a, a novice mistake would be um, if you're right when you start to go as big as you can, go as large as you can. Um, but if you go big, you might go home is what I like to tell people. So um, 
the idea of perfecting something small, if you have a four by four grow space and you have a, everything that you want and you have the perfect temperature conditions, you're getting the yield you like, well then go ahead and now it can be an eight by eight space and then a 16 by 16 and then so on and so forth. Um, but uh, another really good piece of advice that I actually quote from you, Mr. D Mr. Danko, would be uh, when you say that people are um, worried on the minors instead of the majors. And I find that to be really true as well. You said that once, I think, uh, during a, a panel we were on, you're like, people focus on the minors when they should be focused on the majors. Like people are like thinking about what kind of music should I play into my grow room that would be soothing for my plants, but they don't notice that the plants have mites and bud rot. That should be the focus. So really thinking about um, when you want to start cultivating, thinking about what kind of space do you have? What conditions do you have? Where are you geographically as far as latitude and longitude? I would love to grow sativa dominant plants in my backyard in Massachusetts, but it's not going to happen. Not without a greenhouse, not without um, light deprivation, not without something. So I think uh, definitely when you're when you're starting cultivation, start for fun. Um, and then with that, you're going to have a love for the plant that will continue to make you want to uh, grow further and to do more. If you get into it and some people get into it thinking, you know, how do I do this in a way that's going to be the most lucrative? That's definitely important, but this isn't like, I kind of want to write an article called multi-million dollar industry for who, <laughs> like who is, who is making these multi-million dollars where, you know, the craft cannabis there's definitely a module and a, and a market for it, but it's, it's you know, getting that infrastructure um, created so that way these cultivators are going to be successful and these mom and pops are going to be able to survive when these big Walmart corporations come in. So, you know, for some people, um, we need to figure out how we can create a model where the little guy can still be successful. So right now, I think if you were getting into the industry, one of the largest things you need to do is look at the laws and legislation for where you are and what you're able to do because um, every state is different. So I like to say um, we're like 50 individual, uh, 50 little nightmares. Some are, some are good, some are bad, some are pros, some are cons. The state of Maine has, um, a lot more uh, relaxation on their laws and they have a, a lot more common sense uh, legislation than let's say somewhere like the state of Connecticut and Massachusetts is somewhere in the middle and California is a, a great state with a, a lot of thought put into the legislation. So just looking at what are you able to do? I have people that have grown cultivation or they've grown cannabis outdoors and then they want to sell it to the dispensaries, but you can't do that without a license. So, you know, before you even put the seeds in the ground, know what you're going to do with that plant. So um, definitely plan. And I always tell people to plan three harvests ahead, because if you're going to be growing indoors, especially you're going to want to like think out your entire year of how much time and space is this plant going to take up in veg? How much time and space is it going to take in flower? And then when do I need to germinate in order to make sure that the moment I move that plant from veg to flower, that I have someone to replace it, that I have a different strain to replace it. So um, just really planning out your planning out your year. It's not something that you want to uh, get into without um, definitely preparation, like, like reading, reading a lot of great books and, um, and listening to awesome podcasts like this. So you can have a, a solid foundation of knowledge to grow from. Yeah. Now I know you also uh, consult uh, and do uh, some hemp farming. Uh, tell me a little bit about hemp farming and, and what some of the differences are uh, 
uh, with hemp farming as a, as in, in regards to uh, cannabis for THC? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked. I love talking about hemp. It's one of my favorite things. And it's a, it's a plant I feel is just a little bit misunderstood because all it is is a, a cannabinoid profile difference is the difference in vernacular of how we categorize these two plants, you know? Um, so when we think about the hemp plant, just realizing that the diversity of the hemp plant can also be found in the cannabis plant. Um, and when we think about cultivation for hemp, thinking about um, with the different cultivars for hemp, hemp is grown for th three primary reasons, cannabinoids, fiber, and grain. So I've really been um, getting interested in learning more about using hemp for fiber, using hemp for rope. I went to uh, a, an event, I went to a convention in, um, there was a man actually taking the stalks of the hemp plant and turning them into hemp fibers and then turning those hemp fibers into hemp rope. And it was one of the most amazing processes I've ever seen. So with that in mind, he inspired, and then he would tie dye the hemp rope and then it would be different color hemp. I was like, this is so, I want to grow my own hemp. So um, just knowing that we can use it for textiles and knowing that you can, you can eat it, you can, it can clothe you. So um, all the different wonderful things that this hemp plant is able to do and looking at how the laws are different for, for hemp and how, um, because there's no THC or not no THC, but because the THC is so low that um, we're able to see that with this plant, there's less oversight in ways and there's not as much need for um, things like cameras. And so it makes it easier, like like cameras and surveillance. And um, with that in mind, it takes down an overhead for the cultivator. So now the grower is able to literally grow hemp in their backyard. They don't need to have... Um, a fence around it, a perimeter around it, barbed wire around it, you know, like shining lights with, <laughs> you know, um, infrared. What they're able to do is just grow it in their backyard like a plant. The government sees it less as a, a threatening plant because of the, the THC percentage is so low. And um, with that, like 0.3% THC, it's, it's interesting to me. It almost seems like uh, villainizing cannabinoids. Because like why why is why is CBD so great but THC is so bad? I really I wish we could talk about them and just talk about how wonder like you know they're like children. We're not going to pick and talk about what we don't like. I'm just going to tell you why this one's wonderful and they're, they're both my little honors roll students. Like they're great. So I just think um, when we talk about hemp, make sure that we're not talking about hemp in such a way that it um, in any way like discredits or takes away from all the wonderful things that marijuana, cannabis, high THC, or any other um, high cannabinoid plant can do. So um, with hemp, knowing that hemp has been used, you know, as you know, since the dawn of time and hemp has been used for rope and hemp has been used for, um, you know, for clothing and hemp has been used as a superfood. Hemp has all 21 amino acids, nine of which the body cannot create. So it's like, what can't you do? And then, um, Jack Hare, of course, as you know, just reading his book again, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, after cultivating hemp and seeing how versatile the hemp plant is, it just gives you a new appreciation every time you, you put a seed into the ground. So um, with that in mind, I have cultivated for grain production. And for grain production, you need both males and females in the garden because obviously the male plants pollinate the female plants. And if you were growing for high um, cannabinoid production, you wouldn't want that. And it's funny because people would actually send me like private messages like, Ellen, 
I just need you to know there's some males in your grow. I don't want anyone to say anything to you. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I actually need them in there. So that way I get grain. And then you walk through your, you know, you walk through the, the field and then you, you go like this and you, you like, um, I know they can't see cause it's audio, but you're able to run your fingers through these plants and then literally have just like hundreds of hemp seeds fall in your hand and walk through and, you know, you're eating your hemp while you're walking through your fields. It's just such a glorious feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, let uh, our audience know how they can find out more about you and about Sensamia seminars uh, if they are interested in learning more and possibly uh, signing up for some classes. Thank you very much. Um, so to learn more about Sensamia seminars, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. We also have a website. I am a sole proprietor. So when you send a message, you will be sending a message to me and I look forward to hearing from you. Well, that's amazing. Uh, a, a veteran and woman-owned business uh, thriving in Massachusetts. Thank you, Ellen, uh, for your advocacy, for your education, and uh, just in general for being awesome. We will be back uh, with more Grow Bud Yourself after these messages. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic fertilizers, a brand new legacy line as well, which is organic and some synthetics. A lot of really incredible tools for the modern gardener. So check them out at sweetleaf.com, S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. The code Danko15 gets you 15% off of everything that you can get at Sweet Leaf, which also includes uh, complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, a bunch of different apparel and merch, and their signature line of amazing nutrients. If you join our Patreon, uh, you can get even more codes for 20 or even 25% off of Sweet Leaf Newts and other products. I wanna thank them for being a sponsor, and as always, tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. This is a fortnight. And yes, this is a fortnight. Strain of the fortnight. What do you got for us? Uh, what do you got for us this week? Strain of the fortnight. <laughs> Strain of the fortnight. <laughs> All right. Hey, that sound can only mean one thing, courtesy, uh, by the way, of our good friend Gunja Gonzalez. And of course, that signifies it is time for Strain of the Fortnight. Yes, indeed. Brought to you by our friends at Rocket Seeds, uh, who have a tremendous amount of different strains available at their website, rocketseeds.com. Feminized, autoflowering, regular uh, CBD seeds, very popular, uh, fast version, and worldwide shipping reliable support customer service is so important in the seed game so you can call them uh toll free at 1-800-805-7835 or visit them at rocketseeds.com so uh yeah man thank you to rocket seeds for being a sponsor and our strain of the fortnight this fortnight is sunset sherbet feminized uh some people say sherbet some people say sherbet there is no R in sherbet, but uh, I do believe it's sherbet. I don't know. What, what do you say, Mike? 
I say sherbet, but maybe I'm wrong. Sherbet sounds odd. Yeah, sherbet sounds odd too. But it does. Uh, anyway, the strain is Sunset Sherbet Feminized. Uh, it's an amazing strain. Uh, pretty decent THC level, over 20%. So uh, it's up there. Uh, Indica Leaning Hybrid. Uh, it's a mix of the famous Girl Scout cookies, uh, or GSC, and pink panties. Wow. Okay, pink panties. Hey, now. Smells and tastes like a scoop of ice cream, uh, and it's got that earthy undertone that you get also from some of the, uh, you know, cookie-type strains where there's, like, the sweetness uh, with that earthy undertone. I don't even know exactly how to describe it, but it's kind of mentholated underneath a little bit under the fruit. Uh, and the the sherbet ice cream kind of smell and uh, really interesting because if you smoke a little bit of this uh, it's very uh, uplifting and if you smoke a lot of it it's uh, it's very sedative so it's it's really kind of a you choose your own adventure with this strain so if you just want to pick me up uh, I would say you know smoke it in a one hitter or a bowl and just take a few hits uh, but if you want something that might knock you out, if you're looking for relief from insomnia or that kind of thing, you know, smoke a joint to the face or, you know, a blunt if that's your thing. Uh, as far as growing, uh, it's got a pretty decent uh, short flowering time of seven to eight weeks, which is nice um, compared to some other strains that can go, you know, nine, 10, 12 weeks. So that's a good uh, good thing about it it definitely is a decent yield or two you'll get some nice chunky colas um very colorful so very pretty uh amazing bag appeal um like i said as far as positive effects uh if you have that depression anxiety post-traumatic stress uh you'll want that upliftment of just a, a couple of hits one hit couple of hits uh but uh if you have insomnia um, physical, uh, chronic pain, ailments in the body, uh, I'd say smoke a little more of it um, because then it will be effective at treating those uh, symptoms as well. Now, the look of it is beautiful. They call it Sunset Sherbet for a reason because it's got just really amazing colors, especially as it uh, ripens and approaches uh, harvest. So that's pretty cool. Um, the, the trichomes are incredible. Uh, really good hash making strain so you can uh, dry sift it and make rosin you can uh, blast it if that's your thing but uh, very very flavorful and potent concentrates can be made from the strain uh, if you're growing it uh, you know use branch manipulation or some type of pruning uh, that'll give you better light penetration you'll get uh, a definitely a, a nicer yield um, definitely want to make you know the most out of that seven to eight-ish weeks that you're going to be flowering the plant. So really give those budding sites as much light as possible. Even though it's called Sunset Sherbet, it really does love the light. Um, you know, keep the humidity at the proper levels. Uh, it's a little finicky, but not too bad. And uh, you should be getting a decent harvest. Uh, and, you know, after only seven to eight weeks, that's pretty amazing. So check out Sunset Sherbet Feminized at rocketseeds.com or give them a call 1-800-805-7835 tell them grow bud yourself sent you so that is our uh sunset sherbet strain of the fortnight and we'll be back after this with the rest of our cultivation segment mm-hmm. 
All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you, as always, to Ellen uh, for the great interview. Uh, I've known her for a long time. We are both uh, fellow mass holes, and uh, it's just quite a pleasure to have her on the show. Yes, a very good interview and an excellent strain of the fortnight. But this is the Cultivation segment, and our listeners know that each week you like to give a grow tip that will help them become better cultivators. So what do you want to talk about this week? So uh, this week I'd like to talk about choosing your grow room exhaust fan size. I get asked this question all the time. Uh, doesn't matter what size people have, tents, closets, uh, even warehouses. Everybody wants to know uh, what size of a fan to get to ventilate their room properly and to pull that hot spent air out. So um, first thing you got to remember is this fan goes uh, is, is mounted high in your grow room because the hot air rises. You want to pull that hot air out uh, as high as you can in the grow room. That's also close to where the light is, um, where a lot of the heat is created. So uh, that is important. If you can, you know, it's great to vent the lights themselves, the actual hood, if you have uh, air-cooled lighting. But if not, um, no big deal. You can just pull the hot air out. Um, but again, you're going to need to know what size. Uh, you are not only removing that spent air and heat, you're also providing fresh, cool air to your plants because it's going to, as you pull that air out, uh, fresh, cool air is going to be sucked in, in uh, through whatever cracks you might have, hopefully down low, uh, where they'll be most effective. Uh, you want to be able to clear the air from your grow room entirely in approximately five minutes, uh, every five minutes. Uh, any quicker, uh, and you might risk dehydrating your plants just by pulling off uh, a lot of the humidity that you're hopefully building up inside the space. Um, any longer, your growth is going to begin to stagnate because of the spent air. There's no CO2 in the air. It's too warm, uh, and your plants don't like that. So um, there's also other factors to consider. As I mentioned, if your lighting's air-cooled uh, and vented separately, but we're just going to assume uh, for the purposes of this that you, it's not. So let's say, assuming you have a 10 by 10 foot space uh, and eight foot ceilings, your cubic footage is going to add up to 800 cubic feet. So, uh, you know, the 10 by 10 times eight. So that's the 800 cubic feet that you're looking to replace uh, every five minutes. That means you're gonna need an exhaust fan with a CFM rating, that's cubic feet per minute rating, of around 160 or so in order to remove that 800 cubic feet of air every five minutes. Um, keep in mind that your carbon filtration is going to slow the airflow significantly as well. Um, so you're going to boost your rating accordingly because that carbon really does slow things down. Any bends that you have in your tubing is going to slow it down as well. Uh, try to make sure you don't have any bends uh, in your tubing because, like I said, that really affects the efficiency of your fans. Uh, I would recommend 240 cubic feet per minute for 10 by 10 space. Uh, just because it's going to be going through the charcoal filtration and that's going to slow it down. So in order to really optimize your space, maybe go a little over the five minutes or, or I would should say under the five minutes. So this will clear it about every four minutes or so. Um, 
The other thing is about pressure. Pulling the air out stronger than you draw it into your space is gonna create negative pressure. That pulls extra air through the cracks. Um, it also cuts down on the amount of odors that are gonna escape from your tent or your grow space. Um, you wanna make sure you have at least one oscillating fan per for every four square feet area or so. Uh, so in a 10 by 10, you might want three or four uh, of those small, you know, even little six inch fans are fine as long as they're strategically distributed um, and placed to really move that fresh air that's coming in from the lower part of your grow room around your plants uh, before expelling that spent air uh, from up high. So uh, you just wanna adjust, you know, to whatever size your space is. So if it's a five by five, you wanna, you know, cut that in half, you could use uh, one, 20 or so CFMs, any larger, you're gonna go bigger. Uh, and remember, this also depends on what kind of lighting you're using as well, because uh, high intensity discharge lights, uh, such as high pressure sodiums and metal halides are gonna create more heat than LEDs, and therefore you're gonna need to pull that air off a little quicker. Uh, so uh, all in all, that should help you be able to decide uh, what si fan size uh, for your exhaust fan for your grow room. Good information to have. Uh, that is the grow tip for this week, and now it is time to answer some questions. And if you have a question that you would like answered on this show, get in touch with us. You could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Um, what do you think? Should we get started here? Absolutely. Let's do some questions. Cool. Let's kick it off with Chad. Chad writes, hi, guys. Thank you for the awesome podcast. Uh, what are your thoughts on adding food-grade hydrogen peroxide to your weekly nutrients to hand water in Cocoa Choir? Uh, what do you think? Interesting. Okay, so hydrogen peroxide is, is can be very helpful uh, in the grow space. Uh, it's basically H2O2. So, uh, you know, rather than... Uh, water, which is H2O, there's that added oxygen molecule. Uh, H2O2 or hydrogen peroxide, uh, it not only helps to keep bacteria and algae at bay uh, in uh, non-organic hydro systems, uh, it also releases oxygen in the root zone, which is very important. Uh, so as it works, it's magic. It's, it's also uh, releasing that extra oxygen, which is nice. Um, it's especially good in reservoirs that run hot. So if your water is over 72 degrees or so, it'll have less dissolved oxygen, uh, which also will promote bacterial growth. So I would say in a reservoir like that, you wanna add 15 milliliters per gallon of a 3% hydrogen peroxide solution. Uh, that's gonna help control that algae and bacteria and also release oxygen into that water uh, as it kills unwanted biological agents. Um, as for cocoa coir, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Uh, the only thing is if you're using organic, uh, nutrients, the, a, the hydrogen peroxide can affect the, uh, effectiveness, so to speak of some organic nutrients, uh, and it can kill them off entirely. Some of the beneficial bacteria as well as the unwanted biological agents. So keep that in mind. Uh, if you're using organic or veganic uh, type of nutrients. If not, um, no big deal. A, uh, hydrogen peroxide will help you out a lot. Uh, again, add it the same way, 15 milliliters per gallon of a 3% hydrogen peroxide solution. Uh, so you have your gallon of water and you wanna add that 15 milliliters of the 3% H2O2 uh, to that. That'll help uh, 
kill off any algae and bacteria, and again, uh, release oxygen and uh, help out your plants. So uh, hydrogen peroxide is great, just don't overdo it, and uh, keep in mind that it can hurt uh, some of the beneficials that you might be using if you're a organic grower. All right, there you go. Hope that helps you out, Chad. Uh, let's move on to Harry. Harry writes, I know someone who's doing her first grow. She's having trouble getting her plants to flower. She's using bloom lights, and when a 12-12 schedule didn't work, she switched to a 16-8 schedule, and they still don't seem to want to flower. She switched from veg to bloom lights three weeks ago. There's still no sign of flowering. What is she doing wrong? Okay, um, interesting. So... Uh, the, the switch to flowering isn't so much a switch in lighting as it is a switch in l your lighting schedule. And it seems like you're going backwards here because you said um, she switched to the bloom lights and went to a 12-12 schedule when that didn't work, switched to a 16-8. Uh, it's the 12-12 that's the flowering schedule. The 16-8 is a vegging schedule. So 16-8 is what you would, you know, 16 on, 8 off is what you would use uh not pr prior to flowering, so during your vegging time as the plant is growing uh, leaves and branches and such. Um, then when you want the plant to flower, then you put it into the 12-12. Now you can also change the lights as well, uh, but it's not nearly as important as changing that schedule. Now her plants did not flower under the 12-12, and that could be a number of factors. Perhaps she didn't wait long enough. It can sometimes take. Uh, a week or two or even three weeks sometimes to see the first flower start to form uh, the plant will continue to stretch during that time so it looks like it could still be in veg um, that could be the issue there could be light leaks that kept the plant from uh, flowering because um, maybe she switched it to 12 12 but some of that 12 hours of darkness was interrupted uh, with light which can also keep the plant from flowering um, so yeah, and then switching back to the 16.8 certainly doesn't help things because that's going back into vegging. So um, they're certainly not going to want to flower under that. Um, my recommendation is, uh, you know, more important than switching from veg lights to bloom lights is the schedule. Um, so when you do switch from veg lights to bloom, and I'm assuming what that means is from uh, metal halides to uh, high pressure sodiums or from uh, some type of LED uh, lighting with spectrums for vegging that switches to a, a more uh, reddish yellow spectrum for flowering but uh, either way when you make that switch you also make the switch to 1212 and leave the leave it on 1212 for a full you know month uh, with without at all interrupting the darkness uh, make sure go inside the room during the darkness and make sure that there's no light leaking in and the plants should begin to flower. If not, then there's uh, something much more sinister at play somehow, uh, either with the genetics or something else. So um, yeah, I think, like I said, uh, the, the schedule for flowering should be at 1212 uh, and the plants should start flowering. If not, uh, something is wrong with the 12 hours of darkness. All right, there you go. Um, Harry, we know you're just asking for a friend, but uh, we hope that helps you out there. Uh, let's go to Skip. Skip writes, hello there, everyone. 
the cast of thousands here at Growbud yourself. Um, I appreciate your insight greatly. I live in Portland, I recent and recently my store-bought one-foot-size clones just started to flower. Uh, maybe because the week I got them, I took them outside, their ultimate home, for a week or so, and uh, when the, and that was when the weather was clear, warm, and the sun was out. I was thinking the real sunlight is better than the full-spectrum strip of light inside the house. Then the weather got cloudy and cool, so I've kept them inside under lights. The sun, or light, isn't up as long as they were used to in my house or at the clone store, and the light mix-up must have triggered them to start flowering because of that. I've now kept them indoors and increased the daylight time to 15 hours, hopefully to trigger them back into the vegetative state. My plan was to put them in the ground the third or fourth week of May. What do you think? Okay, uh, Skip, interesting. This is almost like the opposite of, uh, <laughs> of the previous question, because what happened to you is your plants flowered uh, unintentionally. You did not want them to flower, and they did. Uh, and again, this is... Uh, this is because of the amount of light that they receive, the actual timing of that amount of light. So even though you put them outside in the sun, thinking that, you know, the sun would be uh, more intense, which it is, uh, it's more intense for a shorter period of time. And therefore, the plant is convinced that, uh, you know, because you put it out in the spring, uh, the plant is convinced somehow that it's the fall uh, because it's not getting enough light and therefore it starts to flower. Um, now, what you've done is the correct thing. You brought it back inside. Uh, increased daylight time. I would say 15 is good. You know, possibly kick that up to 18 if you can. Uh, even 20 wouldn't hurt. Uh, and that plant will revert back into its vegetative state. This does shock the plant. It does take a little while for the plant to revert back. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's what the kids call triggering. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the plant is triggered into flowering, then it's triggered back into vegging. And so once you see that it's, it's growing, uh, you know, leaves and, and, and branches and not no longer flowering, even, even, uh, you know, sometimes shoots will come out of the center of the flower. Uh, that's when you know it's back into its vegetative state. And if you want to put it, put it out, uh, you know, third, second or third week of May, which is pretty much almost upon us right now, uh, you could do that as long as there's no more frosts in your area. Um, you said Portland. I'm not sure if that's Maine or Oregon, but either way, both have, it can have, uh, cold weather, you know, even into late May, but you should be fine. So I would say, make sure they start into the vegetative stage, uh, indoors. And if you can, supplement the lighting outside so if you put them out in may they still might decide to try to go back into uh, vet, uh into flower because of the lighting amounts in may but although you know once you get into june and july those are heavy duty veg months and the plants should be fine at that point if you can uh give it a little extra light but uh you should be fine and uh as long as the plants bounce back out of the flowering stage and into vegging uh, and you put them out late May, um, you'll be fine. They're just going to have, uh, you know, a hiccup there of, of a few weeks uh, of slowed and to lack of growth because of that, uh, because of that mix-up, you know, the lighting mix-up of them going back into flowering and then having to revert back into veg. But uh, all in all, your plants uh, will be fine. They'll flower fine in the fall, and you should get a decent harvest.
All right, there you go. I hope that helps you out, Skip. Uh, let's go to D-Man. D-Man writes, Hey, guys, I love the show. Uh, regarding flushing, do you need to let the soil dry out completely before flushing? Is it the same as watering? I always let it dry out first, but just not sure. I also always flush two to three times the amount of water. So, uh, yeah, what would you say to D-Man? Yeah, that is actually a really good question. Um, you don't necessarily need to let it dry out completely, but... Uh, it is good not to have the plant be super soggy as uh, it approaches ripeness. So uh, it does make sense to let it dry out um, somewhat. Uh, and when you're flushing, you're using a lot of plain water. Uh, so when a plant does dry out uh, entirely like that, I would say add the first you know quarter of the amount of water that you're going to use very slowly to just let that uh let your medium absorb uh some of that moisture and then once uh once your medium has absorbed a, a, a small amount of the moisture and is uh lightly moist then you can give it the barrage of uh the you know three quarters or more of of the reserved flushing water that you have and in that way that water won't just pour straight through and out it'll actually be absorbed into your medium and be able to leach out some of those uh excess salts and, and nutrients and actually flush the plant rather than just flow through the medium and out uh so like i said just add add a little bit of water uh to moisten your medium and then once it's moist then you can add the majority of your flushing water make sure it pours out the bottom and you'll be all set and you'll have very clean burning flowers which is so important all right thank you d-man thanks to everybody who wrote in this week that's going to do it but uh we actually have a few more questions that we're going to get into uh, including auto flowers keeping plants short and using earthworms to aerate soil we're going to do that for our patreon people so if you're interested in hearing uh, the answers to those questions join patreon if you're already a patreon supporter uh check it out there uh, thanks to everyone who wrote in. If you have a question that you would like answered on the show, you can get in touch with us. Uh, email is the best way. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Um, we're going to take a little break, then come back and wrap this up. Let's do it. All right, we're back, and it is the wrap. I just want to say episode 53 was a pleasure. Thank you to you guys for listening. Thanks to Mike for producing, co-hosting, and uh, putting up with all my nonsense. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the incredible and amazing theme song. Uh, thanks to Ellen Farmer-Brown uh, of Sinsamia Seminars for the illuminating and amazing interview. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. Definitely want to thank Rocket Seeds, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, and Excelsior Extracts. Uh, we're going to be doing some giveaways from our sponsors in upcoming episodes as well. So we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Thanks to our Patreon supporters. We're up to, I think, 60-something, 60 67 uh, patrons on Patreon, which is amazing. So uh, check out Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Danny Danko uh, to join up for as little as a cup of coffee, uh, $4.20 a month is uh what you can sign up for you get free stickers you get a handwritten note uh from us a thank you note uh you get nutrients from sweet leaf and uh at the higher levels you get much more you get 
uh, codes for buying nutrients even cheaper, a uh, copy of my book signed by me, and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, merch from Sweet Leaf as well. So join us at patreon.com slash Danny Danko. That is a wonderful place to be a part of the Grow Bud Yourself community. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, follow us on all our socials. I'm sure most of you already are, but if not, uh, follow us and spread the word. You know, if you have friends that are interested in growing their own, uh, send them our way. Uh, we always want to keep growing and keep uh, our community rising and creating the finest connoisseur quality and medicinal uh, quality cannabis for aficionados and connoisseurs and patients alike. So thank you to you guys. And uh, yeah, episode 53. I think that's all the thank yous. If not, uh, I'll get to it again next week, but we will be back with Grow Bud Yourself next week for you guys, episode 54. So let's put 53 in the books and uh, call it a night. Thanks, Mike, and uh, peace out, you guys. Keep on growing.